good morning, everybody. How are we doing? We survived the first week of school, yes? Well, I want you to know that we have had a ton of people praying for you and for us, and we're just hoping for the best, and it's kind of nice, is it not? I mean, I know not every child likes to go to school. Um, I think most children um, and teenagers like to go to school for the first couple of days, but the novelty wears off for some very quickly. Um, It was sort of that way with me, but we won't get into that, that's for sure. Uh, But uh, we are just delighted that things are starting to look like some sense of normalcy, whatever that means these days. Um, If you weren't here last week, if you were away on the long weekend or um, uh, you were doing whatever, we started a series on the seven churches of Revelation and uh, we talked last week about the letter to the first church, which was Ephesus, which is going to matter for us in this uh, sermon this morning. Um, But today we're looking at the second church, which is Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And I'm going to get everybody in the room uh, to stand, and um, you can get your device out or whatever the case may be, and uh, I'm going to read it for you, and this is what it says. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write... The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. Father, we ask today in the name of Jesus that you would give us ears to hear. Not just the words that are spoken, but the words that are spoken in the realm of the Spirit, that you would give us spiritual ears to hear, that you would open our spiritual eyes that we may see beyond today and tomorrow. That we are a people designed for greater than just today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just have your way in our midst. We thank you for your love for us in Jesus Christ and for the work and ministry of the Spirit that takes all that you've accomplished in Jesus and makes it applicable and possible in our lives. And we are deeply grateful. So now again, we pray for ears. We pray for eyes. We pray for hearts. We pray for minds today that it would be open, Lord. And particularly as we leave this place, as we turn off our device at home at the end of this service, that right in our homes, in our closest intimate relationships, there would be a physical, meaningful demonstration of what it means for us as husbands and wives and parents and children and neighbors and the people that we come in contact with and friend, that we would live out what it means to be your people. We love you, we praise you, and thank you in Christ's name, amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, for those of you who were away last week, and I just want to gentle remind, uh, as a gentle reminder, that all seven churches that we're talking about in the book of Revelation are in Asia Minor, the province of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire, but it is today, it is modern day Turkey. And the seven messages that we are talking about are for the entire church, not just in John's day, 
but for the church right down to us on this day, September 13, 2020. And it's not just for Glad Tidings Church as a whole, as us as a congregation, although it is. It is also for us as individuals, as people, as Christians, as for you and for me. So let's begin this morning with our uh, second congregation, the church at Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is famous for a number of things. First of all, it was the home of the ancient, famous poet Homer, who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, and if you've never, ever read those, you need to read them. They are really great stuff. It was also the location of one of the famous and fabulous temples that was attributed to the worship of Athena, was located there. But Smyrna was also famous as a rival city to Ephesus. If Smyrna and Ephesus had hockey teams, it would be the Smyrnian Maple Leafs versus the Ephesus Canadians. Back when Pastor Kevin was young, One of the great rivalries was between Russia and Canada, the 1972 Canada-Russia series. I watched it in grade eight. Our teacher, actually we didn't watch it, he allowed us to listen to it on the radio during class time, which we thought was a bit of a miracle. But sports teams have rivals, and schools have rivals, and cities have rivals. And so Smyrna and Ephesus are juxtaposed. You like that word? Juxtaposed and contrast as opposites. Smyrna was located 40 miles or 65, about 65 kilometers north of Ephesus. And like Ephesus, it was a significant port city. But it was more significant than Ephesus because the harbor was so well surrounded and the entrance was so narrow that in times of war they could actually close the narrows so the enemy couldn't get in. Even today, ships from the Mediterranean come and they anchor in the well-protected harbor at Smyrna. Now, Ephesus, of course, is more prominent than Smyrna. But Smyrna surpassed Ephesus in beauty and in population. Smyrna was called the flower, the ornament, the crown of Asia Minor. Of all the cities in the province of Asia Minor, it was the loveliest. Remember this word, it was the gem, it was the diamond of the province It was built on one of the most striking views. It overlooked the harbor, and behind it was the lush vegetation of the mountains. And most people don't know this, but it was one of the best planned cities, well-designed cities that actually had wide paved streets and an adequate and proper sewage system. It was also a place of beautiful buildings and Doctors Leanne and John, they had their own medical school. I don't know what we would call that there. It was not the largest city, but it was very prominent. It boasted in John's time of a population of 200,000 people. It's no small city. Now, what is important to our text and that we need to keep in the filing cabinets of our mind is this. That Smyrna was also famous for the cult worship of the Roman emperor. The people of Smyrna actually asked Rome if they could build a temple to their emperor. And they built this magnificent, prestigious building that was dedicated to the worship of Caesar. And so the Smyrnians were delighted with the wealth and the status that came with this religious association. And so out of gratitude to the Roman emperor for his permission, they instituted persecution of the local Christians there who refused to worship 
Caesar as Lord. Now keep that in the back of our minds as we're going through this morning. Emperor worship in Smyrna became compulsory. Once a year, every citizen of the city had to actually burn incense on the altar to Caesar. Most Christians refused. And in refusing, it became a crime, punishable by death, to refuse to worship and burn incense to the image of the Roman emperor as Lord. And so many Christians had to choose between Caesar as Lord and life or Jesus Christ as Lord and death. And this made Smyrna one of the most dangerous places in the entire known world to live if you were a Christian. Now the name Smyrna comes from the word myrrh. Three times in the New Testament the word myrrh is used. Of course we know it best in Matthew's Gospel chapter 2 verse 11 where the wise men brought the gifts to Jesus and they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now myrrh was a spice that was used for burial purposes and it is associated with sorrow, with grief, with loss, with death, and with burial. And so right away, right out of the gate in Matthew's gospel, we are told and we are informed indirectly that the reason why Jesus Christ came as a baby in Bethlehem was ultimately to die on a cross in Jerusalem. The second one, the second reference comes to us as Jesus is dying on the cross. And Mark tells us in 1523 that they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he wouldn't take it. It was a bitter, a bitter, a bitter drink. The third place that we hear the word myrrh being used is after the death of Jesus. And John tells us in John 19 that Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted it to them. And they brought a mixture of myrrh and other things, 75 pounds worth. Myrrh was, in, was used in embalming the dead. It was associated with suffering, with sorrow, with death, with grief, with loss, and with burial. And then that brings us to this. The name of the city is characterized in the church there. Smyrna means, Smyrna means myrrh, but it comes from the word myrrh, but it also means bitterness. And that was what the whole church was experiencing. Bitterness at the hands of an oppressive enemy. Because of their stand for Christ and for his gospel. And of all the churches, Smyrna is a church that has suffered. It was a persecuted church. Now I want to elaborate on our understanding of the word bitterness because we know that bitterness in life has many expressions. This week, Pastor Kevin already mentioned that Claudia buried her husband. Larry and Paulette, along with their daughter Tammy, buried their granddaughter. It has been a bitter week for them. Last week, a couple in our congregation received news that their daughter had been killed in a hit-and-run traffic accident. The week before that, Joyce received news that her dad in Kenya had passed away and because of COVID was not able to attend the funeral. And of course, we keep praying for Joel and for Sarah and their families as they are experiencing the brutal bitterness of cancer. 
And that's just the last couple of weeks. And there are others, of course. And then there is the bitterness of doing something that God never intended. Brenda, Greg and Brenda, and Wanda and Doug, and both families buried or experienced the loss of their young 20-year-old sons. God never intended a world where parents and grandparents would bury their children and their grandchildren. Bitterness comes in many different forms, shapes in our life. And there are others in the room and online, you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about bitterness. Not that we are bitter, but life sometimes deals us bitterness. And and in the bitterness, we have to make decisions that are very difficult, demanding decisions. But the message of Jesus to this church, this church of tears, of trouble, of testing to them, and his message to us this morning is this. I know your tribulation. That word, tribulation, trouble, keeps coming up, doesn't it? Over and over again as we read the biblical text, that word comes up over and over again. We get our word tribulation from the Latin word tribulum. Tribulum. Which means literally to thresh as in the threshing of wheat, or in the word flail, as when we take a carpet and we beat it, we are flailing the rug, we are flailing that carpet. It's got that idea. But there's also this, the tribulation that is being talked about here in our text is not our ordinary troubles and trials and tests, but it is referring to extreme pressure. Diamonds are the result of extreme pressure. Now remember a moment ago when I was describing for us the city of Smyrna that it was considered a diamond and a gem in the province of Asia Minor. Remember I said that? Well, the church, this congregation, was a gem. It was a diamond. It was precious to Jesus. And these three ideas of being thrashed, of being flailed, of being beaten, of experiencing extreme pressure, of being squeezed, of being crushed. The believers in Smyrna were being crushed. They were being flailed. They were being threshed by the enemy. But the good news is Jesus knows something of this crushing and flailing and pressure personally. We read in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 these words, For he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Further in verse 10 it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So when Jesus says, I know your tribulation, he is not being cliche. He knows. He knows ours too. He knows yours. He knows mine. He knows the pressure that we are under. And in it all, we understand that God keeps the books. 
Now listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings, my tribulations, my tears, my troubles, my difficulties. You have put my tears in your bottle. Do you know what God's bottle is? It's me. It's you. When, you, when the tears come. I heard somebody once say that when we cry, when the tears come in the midst of difficulty and hardship, when we have to make a decision and it brings us to tears, it is Jesus who is crying through us. But it doesn't end there. Listen. The psalmist says, asks, are not... Are they not all my tossings in your book? In your book. And then in Psalm 139, 16, it says, You saw my unformed substance in your book were written. Every one of them. So when Jesus says, I know your tribulation, I know your hardship, he knows. And then he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. You see, they were poor. The city was flush. The city was wealthy. But the church was poor. Now, that does not mean, of course, that they were... that. To be Christians, you have to be poor. But these people were poor because they were Christ followers. Their poverty was a result of their stand for Christ. Poverty was brought on them. Because they were Christians, other people would not buy from them. Or sell to them or trade with them. People of Smyrna boycotted their businesses. Employers would not hire them. If they did have a job, they certainly wouldn't get promoted. They were cheated. They were lied to. They were ostracized. They were harassed because they were Christ followers and they would not bow down to Caesar. And we are reminded, aren't we, of a principle and the principle is that God's rewards are greater than successful businesses or material things. His is an eternal reward that can never fade or pass. And our text tells us and them, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life because and trials and tests and fears and tribulation and poverty do not last forever. For us, tribulation has a time limit. It is an expiry date. We use the word, this too shall pass. COVID as an expiry date. When God has accomplished everything that God wants to accomplish, it has an expiry date. There is an end date. We use the words, this too shall pass. But listen to verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer because the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days. The expiry date is 10 days. Now whether that's literally 10 days or metaphorically, it really doesn't matter. But the point is that there is an expiry date for tribulation in our lives. This too shall pass. And there is this, Jesus says, I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich and the slander. Now, I don't know about you, 
But there's nothing that annoys me more than slander. Slander gets my dander up. I find slander hard to deal with. To endure slander faithfully and patiently, the injustice of it is more than I can bear. Am I hearing background music or am I losing my mind? Can you shut that down for me, please? Ah, you're beautiful. Thank you. When somebody slanders our person, our character, do you find it difficult to manage as well? To be maligned. To have our character defamed. To have our reputation smeared. To be lied about. Now the slander that these Christians in Smyrna were experiencing was twofold. First of all, they were slandered as being atheists because they would not worship Caesar as Lord. They were considered non-religious because they wouldn't worship Caesar and burn incense to him. But interesting, they were also slandered and accused of being cannibalistic. Because of what Jesus said in John 6.53. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Now we know that that means communion, the Lord's table. But the people of Smyrna took it literally. And Jesus says, I know your slander. I've been there too. And that's the way Jesus feels about the Smyrnian saints. And that's the way he feels about us, about his children who are misrepresented, who are maligned, who are lied about. But understand this. That the underlying reality behind the conflict, behind the tribulation, behind the poverty, behind the slander is this. The conflict is always played out on a physical level, but the real conflict is spiritual. Jesus says in verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Satan, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. The conflict is always spiritual. It's just played out on a physical plane. Historians tell us, can you endure a little bit of history for a minute? Historians tell us that during the first two centuries, the first three centuries of the Christian church, that the Christians endured more suffering and more Christians died during that period than any other period in church history. One of the first pastors of the church in Smyrna was a man by the name of Polycarp. I know it's a name to think about. I mean, my name is Todd Headley Milton. Thank the Lord it isn't Polycarp. That would be hard to manage in school, wouldn't it? Hey, my name is Polycarp. Mm -hmm. But he was one of the early church fathers, uh, just as we're going along. Um, <clears throat> the period that follows the disciples, which is the apostolic period, is called the patristic period. It's the early church fathers. And Polycarp actually was a disciple of John, the writer of the book. And Polycarp's parents were actually converted to the faith by the apostle Paul. In 155 AD, there were public games in Smyrna. And Polycarp was arrested, and he was brought into the arena, and he, in front of this huge crowd that was there, he was given the choice either to deny Jesus or to die. And he wrote these, or said these words, 
Eighty and six years. Eighty and six years have I served my Lord and He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King who saved me? And history tells us that Polycarp actually was burned at the stake because he would not bow down and worship Caesar. But many... Many of God's people in history have been and are being mistreated. In our world today, 250 million, that's right, 250 million, a quarter of a billion of our brothers and sisters around the world suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ every day. And those numbers are conservative. But they were thrown to the lions They were torn limb from limb. They were boiled in oil. They were smeared with honey and were staked to anthills. But the most famous, of course, comes from the lunatic Nero. Nero had clothing soaked in oil and made the Christians wear it. And then he impaled them on stakes and he rode around the hippodrome to the light of these burning saints. And I know that's gruesome and it's hard to say and it's hard to hear. But listen to Paul's commentary in Hebrews where he says these words, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in sheeps, the skin of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now this helps us to understand why Jesus starts his letter the way he does. He says in verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. The church in Smyrna was a persecuted one, and this letter comes from the one who is the first and the last, the alpha, the omega, the first letter in the Greek alphabet, and the last letter in the Greek alphabet, and he is everything in between, and it reminds us of this. Let us never, ever forget this reality in our world as a whole, in Glad Tidings Church as a congregation, and in our personal and individual lives, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of history. And no matter what evil may appear, Jesus Christ is in control. To a congregation where prison and death were inevitable. The one who died and came to life can also give the crown of life to them and protect them from the second death. In other words, all that they are enduring is not gone unseen. And I can tell us, brothers and sisters, that on this day, What it is that has gone on in our lives and is going on in our lives presently has not gone unseen as well. That Jesus is the Lord of history and no matter what evil appears, Jesus Christ is in control. And John's letter, and Jesus' letter is for a church being brutally who is brutally experiencing tribulation and poverty and slander, who is being threshed and flailed and is experiencing extreme pressure. And Jesus says, be faithful. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Smyrna 
was famous for many things, but one of the things that Smyrna was famous for as well, as we mentioned already, were their famous public games. And it was like the Olympics, and if you won in the games and you were given a crown, you received a laurel wreath that was placed on your head. But the greatest game, of course, is the game of life, isn't it? And the contest of life for those of us who are faithful, we will receive the victor's crown. We will receive the crown of life, not a fading crown of laurel leaves. And 1 Corinthians says this, Do you not know? Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable one. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Smyrna, you will learn over the next five Sundays is the only church that Jesus has nothing negative to say. The only church. Jesus only is affirming to the church in Smyrna. And we come full circle where we began. Compared with comparing Smyrna to Ephesus, and the Smyrnian church to the Ephesian church. Smyrna is the only congregation that still exists of the seven in Turkey today. There is still a small remnant of the ancient church in Smyrna. It's the only church of the seven that still is in existence. And Paul writes, blessed is the man, the woman, who remains steadfast under trial for when they have stood the test, they'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. There's an old, old, old story of a missionary couple who were coming home after spending their entire adult life on the mission field preaching the gospel. They came on the same carrier as the President of the United States. The President was met with all kinds of fanfare and attention. There was not one single person to meet and to greet this missionary couple. And as the president's entourage moved on, they were standing there alone and standing there somewhere between self-pity and doubt. One turned to the other and said what the other was thinking. We gave all we had. Our entire life lived for the Lord. We have spent our entire adult lives on the mission field. And this is the reward we receive. Absolutely no one to welcome us home. And as the story goes, as they stood there all alone... They heard these words simultaneously. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. But my home is somewhere beyond the blue. And that's what we need to keep in mind. God keeps the books. 
And nothing going on in your life or my life is lost or gone unseen. He knows. He knows. So I'm going to invite the musicians to come. And they're going to come and they're going to sing a song. There's a refrain in the song that I want us to focus on this morning. But I'd like for us in the room, if you would, can you just get quiet and just kind of pull into yourself and maybe close your eyes or if you want to keep them open. But just a private moment for those of you that are at home. If you would just, if you can, just shut yourself in for a moment. Just isolate yourself for just a moment, if you can, if the kids aren't running all over the place. But if you can. So I ask us this morning, do you know bitterness today? Are you experiencing bitterness because of life's circumstances? And you're not quite sure what to do with it. But you see, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. We're still in this world. We're we're not home yet. And there is an expiry date. There's a shelf date. Ten days. And that ten days is different. You've gone through bitterness of life. But you're experiencing it right now. And Jesus says to us this morning, I know. I know personally your tribulation. I know your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander. And I know that Satan, the devil, is working against you because of me. But the day is coming when this too shall pass. But we're not there yet. And while we're waiting to get there, We're to live at our lives as full and as long as possible. But understand that we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. And Jesus walks beside us. And so just this morning in that moment of privacy, isolation, listen to the words of this song. Keep 
I don't feel you're working you're still working you never stop you never stop aren't you glad come on stand with me in the room this morning and would you just today as an act of faith as an act of the will of your volition would you just Worship the Lord. Just, just worship Him quietly. Just whisper His name. Jesus, I know you know. I know you know the bitterness. I know you know that I'm feeling crushed. And I feel beaten. And I feel the pressure. I know... You know the poverty. You know, I know, you know the slander. But Jesus, I want you to know that I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. And we ask, Father, in the mighty name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, for the work and the activity and the ministry of your Holy Spirit in this room and at home. And you would mend every heart. Mend every heart. Mend every heart. Mend every heart. Because Jesus, only you can. Only you can. Now, I don't know why it is that I feel inspired and led by the Spirit to do this. And if you don't speak with tongues, don't panic. Don't worry about it. Just pray in English. But if you have the gift of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I want you quietly to just pray in that heavenly language. 
just loud enough so you can hear the sounds out of your mouth into your ear. Not loud, just pray in that heavenly language. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, when we pray in the Spirit, we know that we are praying and your Holy Spirit is praying through us. No pure prayer is ever prayed by us. But Father, would you mend every heart? I pray that you, by your Spirit, would, metaphorically speaking, pour the Spirit of God in the backbone of our spiritual lives like it were steel. That we would stand strong and firm in the face of difficulty, tribulation, poverty, slander, pressure, being flailed and beaten and threshed in tribulation. May we find our strength in you renewed and our hearts mended and we ask this in the name that is above every other name Jesus Christ the first and the last the one who died and who was alive again I know I know your tribulation I know your poverty I know the slander. I know when you are crushed and flailed and threshed. I know. And Lord, we give you praise and give you thank for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, church.